Hello and welcome to another episode of the Roach Coach Podcast, the journey to create the new metal canon. My name is Lauren Kozlowski. With me, as always, is the Indigo Angel, Jennifer Sosha. Hello. And the original Roach Rider, Mr. Matt Nas. Keep it rolling, baby. There we go, ladies and gentlemen. We're back with you back for another episode of The Coach. And This week, we're back with our boys. It's been a year. It was time to do it. We're talking about Limp Biscuit this week. And their album, EP, what is this thing? It's called The Unquestionable Truth, Part 1. Oh. We're going to talk all about it. And we're just going to dive right into the record. That's right. Jenny, when did this EP album, when did it come out? This came out, EP album, whatever you want to call it, on May 2nd, 2005. That's the come down. Indeed, the come down. Jenny, we'll start with you. History with the unquestionable truth. So this, when this album came out, uh, I'm pretty sure I was working at the record store because I remember it coming out, and I remember being like very surprised to hear that it had been released. Like, oh, they're still they're still doing things. I never listened to it. I remember the album cover. I remember it was in one of those. Unless I'm misremembering you, I'm sure you have a physical copy, Lauren. Was it in you one know. of those like cardboard digipacks? Yes, it is. Yes, those things. Uh, that one looked like it might be okay, but for a long time, records were coming out in those like those cardboard digipack things, and they were a pain in the ass to put in. The yes, like they were. CD holders, you had yes. to like separately wrap them in plastic and like we had to like tape them on or <laughs> you just crush them in there. If you were some people, that was always painful. I remember that. <laughs> I remember the texture of this, this album, but I never listened to it until we, um, until we did this episode. Like I'd, I, I think I'd heard, I'd heard a couple songs just over time but i'd never sat down and listened to this record before we listened to it for the show matt how about you so when it came out i had not listened to this i really didn't even know it existed at the time but then uh i started doing this show called roach coach about four years ago with some friends and i went into a youtube hole and eventually you get to the unquestionable truth and i saw the video for the truth and it's like we'll get there but it was like holy shit um i've listened to most of this record i'm very excited to see kind of where the team lands on it um but yeah i i kind of have watched the um, Dean Del Rey directed uh, video for kind of like the overarching album because it has like a very um, faux preacher theme to it. Very, very, a lot of interesting things going on with it. And then, of course, now I've listened to like a hundred West Borland interviews where he talks about like, yeah, I had a big disagreement with Fred on this one because he was like, just let the people find it. So there was like no marketing campaign for it. Yeah, it's a. Uh, I'm interested. It's it's an interesting album. So my history with this record 
was that I didn't know it was coming out. Lauren? <laughs> I just didn't throw it to you at all. You did You did not throw it to me, but that's okay. No, no, I he knew, picked up the ball. I knew, I knew it was my turn. I knew it was my turn. Listen, we take who's tweeting out of these episodes. We don't know what the fuck. You got to give us a minute to get our sea legs. We got to figure this out. Um, when, <laughs> when, <laughs> what, what if I was truly waiting that long to say, Lauren? Oh, oh, just we the have all the pause. time in the world now that we didn't do oh, tweeting. Oh, yeah, we given its own episode. We just luxuriate in the pauses. Uh, so I was, uh, at the time, I was somebody who every Sunday you get that big, huge newspaper in the mail with all of the ads for all the stores in it circuit city best buy all that stuff you grab those when you see what are the hot sellers what do they got coming up what's on new release tuesday still the best day to release music in my opinion not friday tuesday that's what i'm, I'm sticking to it and i knew that that new nine inch nails was coming with teeth been waiting been waiting six long years for that. It was a six years, up. six year wait from the fragile to with teeth. Fragile's ninety nine, baby. Holy shit! Yeah, so we we've been hearing about with teeth. We've been hearing it's coming. So I crack it open just to see what our boys over at Best Buy are going to be offering. You know how much they're going to be selling me this. And I look, and they're also positioned as a new release. Limp Biscuit, The Unquestionable Truth, Part 1. Whoa, whoa, what? What is this? Had no idea. Didn't know this was going on. I'm also real deep into broadcasting school at this point. So I'm, as I've mentioned before, broadcasting school era, like some stuff I was missing. I wasn't seeing all of it as it was happening. And so I'm like, okay. And so I start looking up, like, what's going on with this record? And it says, Wes is back. I'm like, how did I miss this? What is going on? So I picked this thing up day of release. And I uh, I recall thinking it was very jarring coming off of Results May Vary, which is a very smooth record, really, in comparison to this one. And uh, yeah, I don't have it in front of me, but I'll look it up. But I did write a little bit about this album on my live journal. So I'm going to pull that up see what i had to say about it but uh yeah i did have this record i have physical copy here i want to say it was 9.99 i want to say that's what i what i got it for the uh the wikipedia does list this officially as an ep but i recall at the time that it was sold and presented as an album not as an ep that is correct it was priced like an album not an it EP. Was. That's right. So, and you guys knew, you guys, you know, I hadn't even thought about that. Working in a record store, having to take all those CDs and put them into those plastic containers. I never, until this moment, thought about the fact that that's probably the majority of what you guys did in the store every day. That was definitely some of it. You know, I thought you guys were just hanging out. Ringing that, people up, giving that, racks. That was the bulk of it. <laughs> okay. All right. Dealing okay. with like some wackadoo people, laughing about it when they left. Taking in trades. Oh, yes. The trades. 
the trades and the haggling with the trades are truly, in my opinion, the hell of working at a record store. And for some reason at the record time in Roseville, we had a very small porn section (laughs) and there was a guy who we called Porno Fingers. <laughs> I can't even honestly remember if he traded shit in or not, but for some reason thinking about it just like took me, flashed me right to Porno Fingers. And like, I tried not to help him with it if I could help it, but more times than I'd like to remember, I had to help him. And he just he had this really, he was like an older guy he had kind of, he was like a little bit thin on top, but like longer hair, gray. He wore like this very like big puffy jacket and he had these long fingers that would protrude out and he would just like Grinch finger through like big ass, like whatever. I don't know. I'm sorry. This is a complete tangent, but that was another part of working at the record store I worked at. I don't know if other record stores had porn sections or porno fingers i did not even realize that place had a porno section it was very small it was like basically a shoebox of porn and only the most depraved fucking weirdos would like be like can i take a look through that i was like i guess can you go down the street to the porn store do you have to look at the one shoebox of porn we have and if they're asking me i assumed there was a reason <laughs> oh boy so oh boy you know uh, yeah well yeah, it's funny though because the uh the record store here in town um they have it's like 90 percent music then in the back they have dvds and tapes and then a cardboard sign that says adult section available just ask and i'm like the desperation that you're like um if you have hard like yeah <laughs> pardon me i saw I dare say I saw a mention of a of a, of a porn, porn section? section of a porno section. Um, may I peruse the box? Oh. oh boy, oh boy, boy, oh boy! I Jenny. mean, I made sure to go to a video <laughs> store that was at least twenty miles away from my house. I mean, people watch porn, whatever. It, there's just like to go to a place that is like definitely not. Yeah, (laughs) it's definitely not like a sex shop. It's definitely not the Internet, which even at that time, like, I mean, you know, the whole Napster thing had happened so many years before that, like it was available. But, you know, the dedication to physical media. All right. 2005 was a different time. It was. I found my live journal and it's not as long as I remember. But I wrote this on Thursday, May 5th, 2005. I said, Nine Inch Nails with Teeth is great. Simple, to the point, fun, exclamation point, question mark, exclamation point. As well, the new Limp Biscuit is pretty heavy. Very first album. Angry, great guitars. And Fred doesn't like you. Sorry. And then I wrote about the nominations for the MTV Movie Awards. Man, I was forever on brand. (laughs) I have to say, we were just talking about how you were looking at some conversation we had in 2013, and it was night and day 
With you, it's day and day. <laughs> it's just always day. The sun does not set. It doesn't. It really doesn't. Uh, so, um, yeah, so this album, uh, yeah, physical copy here. This front cover, it's a, it's a West drawing of what I can only describe as, I don't know, communism communism yes it's kind of, dad <laughs> got what him. are you doing <laughs> it's, it's, it's communism um i don't know it's, it has uh you know um i don't know everybody's in red but there's skeleton heads you have this leader with his fist raised the star behind it i mean i don't i mean we're gonna get into it in the, in the themes of the record i would say though of the album covers for limp biscuit albums so far this seems to be the one that actually does tie in to the content of the actual songs. I would agree with you. It's giving me a fascism vibe. That's it. Not communism, fascism. Very different things. Very stark liner notes here. It's just like printed on simple paper, but uh, very simple. No pictures of the band. No thank yous mm. or anything. Like nobody, nobody says anything. Very tiny font for the credits. And um, Jenny, let's talk about it. Who's in Limp Biscuit on this record? On this record, we have Fred Durst on vocals, Sam Rivers on bass, DJ Lethal, keyboard samples, programming, and sound development, Wes Borland on guitars and harmonica on The Surrender, which we'll talk about, on drums, on drums, here comes the controversy. We have Sammy Siegler on most of the songs. We have John Otto on only one song. That is the channel. The rest is Sammy. We were having trouble with John during this time. Indeed, indeed. John Otto was going through, uh, from what I can tell in my research, uh, a bit of a, a drug issue that he was dealing with at the time. Obviously, he has since... Uh, made his way through that and uh, is back in Limp Bizkit full time. But at the time, he was out. And Jenny, who produced this record? That would be one Ross Robinson, the angel himself. The angel is back producing the record. But you would not know that if you went through the credits of this album. Because there is no producer listed. I cannot find Ross's name anywhere. And I read all the fine print. But we know that he produced the record because if you put this thing in your old CD-ROM back in 2005, you would get a seven-minute preview of a documentary that never came out called also The Unquestionable Truth. And this is, I would say, a pretty illuminating seven minutes. You get... The most emotional Limp Biscuit I've ever seen. Limp Biscuit before this, you know, I mean, granted, you have your five part making of results may vary, which has its own thing, but this feels very raw. Jenny, what'd you think of this mini doc? Uh, this is definitely the results may vary. Doc felt like when the roller coaster starts to go down, and this felt like. The roller coaster going off the tracks and just like kind of crashing. This was like a lot more of like uh, the energy. I don't know. I think a lot about 
Fred Durst's weird kind of desperate energy around all the Britney Spears stuff in uh, results may vary. This feels like not that kind of like desperate falling, but like the crash a little bit. You see John a couple times. He does not look good. Wes is very pissed off about John. It just seems like some rough stuff is going on. Fred, every documentary I've seen or every, I mean, I guess that there's not that many of Limp Bizkit, but seeing how much Fred will just kind of say, like, just do a little I feel like, I don't know, I would get frustrated with that personally. Personally, being me, I would be like, yeah, dude, I, I'm playing the guitar. Okay, I get it. It's yeah, it's interesting. It's like a very, uh, very dark vibe. Very dark vibe. Well, the overarching statements from Wes on this time period is they weren't ready to come back together. That checks out. When you watch it, it very much feels like they got Wes to come back, but then John isn't in the place to do it. They decide to do the record anyway. That creates a weird vibe. Then John's like, I want to come back. Wes is mad about that. Everything is awkward. And so every every single like yeah, every single interaction feels more raw and you just feel like anybody talking is like, wait, why are we recording this? This is this is not anything. And I really think the reason that they never released it, because it would be just you know what's i mean what's the end game also of this of this thing like we spent all this time on this record that we ultimately didn't promote and we ended up basically just going on hiatus after it because i don't even think they toured this thing so it's yeah it's just a real dark record and also you do get multiple instances of west talking about how music is his religion he he says it enough times that it's it's almost feels like it was like a mantra he was telling himself to get through this per- period of time um but uh and then what'd you think of ross what you see of ross jenny (laughs) he seems a little bit more tame than previous versions of ross we've heard about i'm always taken by ross's voice i never expect that to be ross's voice it's it's a lot it's like a different pitch or register or something than i it's a lot higher than i ever expect it to be it really is yeah and I definitely think like, yeah, here, it was interesting listening to this record for the first time in a while in comparison to a lot of the records that Ross has done in the last 10 years or so. And definitely noticing there is this, I, I want to say unperceptible, but it is a perceptible almost tone or sheen to the music that is distinctly Ross. Like I hear that because I listened to, oh, I listened to, I re-listened to a couple songs from that Night Versus record he did about five years ago, four years ago. And the sound on that record in certain areas reminds me of a sound that he was really starting to really mess around with on this record. And it's clear that he took that with him and applied it to some other bands. And it's just interesting to notice like, oh, that sound, that's a Ross sound, you know, just coming back around. Uh, But he does seem in in the video to be like realizing that he's dealing with like a lot of exposed nerve endings in this band and that, you know, he wants to push him, but also at the same time, like there's a lot, cause 
He's st- there's a scene when Wes is mad outside about the fact that they are playing these songs for John, who's been gone, and you can feel like Ross is like running as like you know mediator, and it's it's very raw, it's just super raw. Like you, you, there's a couple parts where you're like, should I be seeing this? Should should I be here? Yeah, Th- and, and this is just seven minutes. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's, it's, yeah. Well, like the the thirty seconds that they show of John, he appears to have like a cut on his face. He's talking shit about how he'll just go on his own drum tour by himself. Like the impression that I was left with is like John was in a very very not okay place, and nobody really knew what to do with it, and they were all dealing with it in their own way. Wes's seemed to be to like push him out <laughs> in a way. But yeah, it definitely seemed less like the kind of fun of taking somebody and saying like, I know that you have like damage and I know you have scars and let's like, let's push on that. And more like something very bad is going to happen to this person unless something changes. Like mm. it just felt like that more of that energy seven men's seven men's it has an incredible closing scene i believe it's the closing scene it cuts to sam rivers uh talking very sincerely about whether or not john will go into a rehab of some kind while wearing a high times t-shirt that is true that is accurate so uh but it's i mean it's it's a juicy seven it's a juicy seven. As we know, John Otto did go to rehab. He did get clean. And he is the last person to see me with my natural front teeth. <laughs> it there all worked go. out. It all it worked, all worked out. out for John. It all worked out for him. Jenny, we got some genre tags. Yes, we do. The genre tags are alternative metal, new metal, and rap metal. And uh, as we said, this record... It's uh, going to deal with some dark topics. We're going to get into that. It was released without advertising or promotion. Sold 37,000 copies during its first week, peaking at number 24. Reviews were mixed, but Borland's return to the band was praised, as was the new musical direction, which was considered to be ambitious. Mm. And um, when Limp Bizkit initially signed with Cash Money Records in early 2012... They said that they were going to release the sequel in Questionable Truth Part 2. Since then, though, um, it has not surfaced. And more than likely seems it will uh, never surface. And I think I think we're ready to just dive in. Oh, review-wise, let's see. Uh, All Music gave it 3 out of 5. IGN gave it a 5.9 out of 10. And Rolling Stone gave it 2 out of 5. Hmm. So there you have it. But I think I think we're ready to dive into this bad boy. All right, let's do it. The first track on this EP is called The Propaganda.
Don't tell me how to keep my composure It ain't over till I give me some closure One in ten over live is my profile Hostile is the frame for my state of grace Severely a mental disorder Where reality is highly distorted Psychosis weak in the mind Inclined to small doses As we approaches Every witless quest for revenge While those who expose every tennis Life is just a big bowl of cherries A bunch of fairies screaming to be scary It's propaganda Selling to the innocent Oh yeah, they're buying it Just show up to rebel again I'm a maniac, hard one to handle You better come back and more better scandal Limp Biscuit coming in hot right off the bat. No goofy intro, no robot voices, no helium voices, just that squeal and a yell in the background, that raw, raw sound into a chunky chug of a riff. Very nasty, very grimy. And Fred not going with his usual flow. Going with a, something a little different, a little more staccato, a little, a little less smooth. Jenny, how are we feeling about the propaganda? I loved this song. Uh, I thought the riff was great. I loved this new heaviness that we found. Like, it does, I can see what 2005 Lauren was saying about takes us back to the first record, but this even feels like a little bit like more harsh and gritty than a lot of that record did. Like this feels different to me. Yeah. Fred, I, I mean, seems a little bit more serious, I guess. I mean, I enjoyed this quite a bit and I, I suspect I would have enjoyed it at the time. I don't know if I would have admitted it or not, but I, I think this is a great song. There you go. Matt, how you feel about that propaganda? Dude, I love this. I love this straight forward to the point, but there's going to be a question I'm going to ask in a little bit because I, I, we got to hear a couple more songs, but yeah, I'm, I'm, my ticket is punched for this album so far. All right. Yeah. I, uh, I wrote down that these, these lyrics, Fred is going for it. He is, so amped up but also this does feel like and we'll get into it in some of these song meaning comments which i'm just gonna start and say the biscuit army showed up we're gonna get into it um but he is talking about a lot of stuff this honestly feels like as much as it seemed like he was trying to become more personal on results may vary this part this reactionary of results may vary not doing well and him really feeling that comes out in a lot of these lyrics. That's the only way I can read into this lyric near the end where he says, who is phony and fading slowly? You don't owe me, but I made you. I mean, that seems to be calling out a lot of people. Calling out a lot of people saying, well, Biscuit's done. Okay. All right. But who set the stage, baby? A million point five in a week. That's no fluke. So I thought that was interesting. Also, I mean, if you want, if you want Fred to just get real grimy on you in that second verse, he screams out the line, uh, "Fuck you in your pussy mouth." Hey. So yeah, 
There he is. There he is. There he is. So, yeah, this is a this is a hot open. I, I the the outro is interesting though because it does feel like they were like, do we? How do we get out of here? Because we're so amped up. And I wonder because this song is this one's this song's like like five minutes long, thereabouts. And part of me wonders if they could have trimmed like thirty seconds to make it tighter. But at the same time, though, this whole this whole album is seems to be going for more of like a raw ragged live sound anyway so sometimes you gotta just let it breathe true enough all right up next we've got the truth You gotta bring it back up. You gotta bring it back up! Oh, we got the scratches. Lethal's in there. Oh. Guys, this might be my favorite Limp Biscuit song. I don't. Matt. I keep coming back to it again and again. This song fucking rips. This is, I think this is one of the the hidden gems of the Biscuit catalog. This thing, this thing is just incredible. And as time has gone on, I feel like every time I listen to it, I'm like, I underrated this record. I underrated this song. This song is, this is it. This is it. This is, I, I feel like this is anybody who's ever been a fucking hater 
get them the truth and listen to these boys tear it up. Jenny. I agree with you. I'm here for this song. There is, however, (laughs) a part of the song that really, I feel like if you're showing this to a hater, let's say, we've been Uh accused of perhaps not being haters, but not being lovers. Uh, When he goes into the Lord's Prayer, Mm -hmm. I'm like, Fred, we don't need this. Get this out of the song. It's so corny, in my opinion. I really love this song. I absolutely agree that it rips. I love the riffs. Uh, I love so much about this song. That Lord's Prayer part just, oh, man, I don't know. Takes you out takes me all the way out because I'm just like, dude, come on. (laughs) I don't know. So, but it didn't seem to take you out, Lauren. You know, I did agree that once again, it's like the, the song is like a little too long. And I definitely do think that it is this thing of like, you're going to see Limp Bizkit live. And they're dropping break stuff. And they're dropping Nookie. And they're dropping My Generation. They start this riff. Yeah, yeah. But then when you get to the prayer part, you're kind of like, what am I supposed to do here? What, what, what are we doing here? This is a little This is a little weird. But I feel like they he gets out of there a little bit and sort of lands the plane. I don't think it's a complete – I don't think it's a failure because I think ultimately the song is – the fucking ripper and uh uh but it is it is one of those choices that i guess isn't the best choice but it does fit with what he was going for so on songmeanings.com 25 comments and not not a ton of comments but i will say that this is an interesting case where i went in kind of expecting to see what we've seen for all these other limp biscuit records which is a lot of haters a lot of people coming in going for our boys but this time around, Biscuit Army showed up, and I ended up going through like this, and I, I got I got a ton. I don't know if I'm going to read them all. And on Jenny, I don't know if you have any favorites, but we've got some incredible ones. I'm going to start with the top rated comment, which is from Royal Avatar, who said, "The people that hate Limp Biscuit hate them because they don't even know about the greatest songs they did." They just think about Roland or My Generation, which were hits created to appeal to mainstream. Therefore, the lyrics were kind of poor. But Limp Biscuit is way more than that. Build a bridge, lean on me, counterfeit, underneath the gun, the surrender, let me down, just to name a few. Listen to those lyrics and tell me LB sucks. But listen to them with a critic ear, not with the idea that it's going to suck. Good idea. <laughs> that, that helps. <laughs> that helps. Are you listening with a critic ear? Or an ear for suckage. Hmm. That makes all the difference. Who cares if they were used to be labeled as cool? Who cares if their fan base were 14-year-old kids? Who cares if some of their lyrics used to have no sense? I don't. I'm a loyal fan, and I know they're far from the best, musically speaking. But they've inspired me through the years, and they keep inspiring me even nowadays. And nowadays, I'm no longer that 14-year-old boy. In fact, I listen to bands that no one can argue they're not terrific. 
Metallica, <laughs> Sonata Arctica, Blind Guardian, Stradivarius. No one could argue. <laughs> no one. Not a word against these bands. Not a one. And yet, I still love Limp Bizkit. Why? I don't know. I may be a, quote, dumb Limp Bizkit fan. So be it. So if, be it. If they're able to inspire one person, just one person, then that means all their work was worth it. What's the goal of an artist after all, right? Because if that's not an artist, then what is it? A man, okay, this part doesn't make any sense, but I'm reading A man prodigy who's able to create the greatest rhythms, tunes, and lyrics a common man could never create? Question mark? Okay, that could be an artist. But what about someone who's able to create a really deep connection between his creation and a person, even if it's just one single person? So go ahead, say how much Limp Bizkit sucks and how Fred Durst is shit. You don't have to like it, but just don't find it too weird the idea of someone still liking Limp Bizkit. Because really, what's the difference between the best song from the Beatles and the worst song from Ashley Simpson if they can both have the power to create the same deep feeling on different persons? We're not the ones to decide which music is good or bad, but to decide what's good for us. Just think about it. There you go. Wow. The ultimate comment on songmeanings.com. It truly is. And I could go on and on. I did want to mention there is a comment. Let me find it here. It's from Ian who said, uh, how about adding to some input what the song meaning is about? I mean, after all, isn't that what this site was meant to be? Oh, classic boomerang. Got him. Uh, really appreciated seeing that one. And, uh, oh, there's a comment. Oh man. There's just a lot of great comments. Cause the thing that is surprising is just, there's a lot of defenders, a lot of defenders. Also a lot of people pointing out that it sounds like Limp Bizkit listened to Rage Against the Machine for this record, which I do not think is an inaccurate take. Um, Anthem 515 said, this song is fucking sick. I don't care what anyone else says. Definitely one of my favorite LB songs. And um, and this is the last one I'll read. This is from Fady D, who said, Screw all you haters. If you really hate Limp that much, just shut your mouths and care about your own business. Limp has no loyal fans? Damn. Open your eyes and take a look around you. The reason you think fans love Limp because they were cool is because that's what you thought. And now you're hating them because it's the new trend. Limp Biscuit owns you all. And this song is Rage Against the Machine influenced, and the band did admit that. It's not about religion. It's simply about the truth in life, and it's one of the best Biscuit songs ever. They'll keep playing, and Fred will keep singing. And you know why? Because they never cared about haters. That's the most precious lesson I learned from them. Self-confidence. <laughs> what there a precious go. lesson. Precious lesson lesson that is that is hard for me to say apparently that yeah that's a midwest emo band from 2004 oh, man we're, we're uh, precious lesson we're precious lesson uh we're from <laughs> we're precious <laughs> lesson. <laughs> lesson. i can't say it i can't do it's it it's all right you don't have to oh, poor we take precious your meaning. We... i'm precious lesson we take oh, your boy. meaning that one's tough that one's tough that's a toughie oh boy so let me tell you these riffs on this record 
West showed up. Oh, we got to talk about this video. Matt. Oh. You, you discovered this video. Yes. Talk us through your feelings. I love this video um, because it is raw, baby. Pretty much, I want to say it's wherever Ross set up his new Indigo Ranch. And it kind of looks like it's filmed on high eight. So it's kind of like grainy, almost security camera footage of the band. Um, and it's like, this is the first time Limp Bizkit has played together as a band since XYZ. Wes is back in the band. And they are fucking going for it. Like, they're playing hard. Like, they're going for it. Like, they 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 are not being like, oh, this is just a casual, like, Wes is spinning, doing the back thing he always did. You know, um, Fred's out there. He's jumping. He's in it. You know, he's going for it. Yeah, it, it, Lethal's back there cutting it up. John Otto's there. You know, and then the other guy. <laughs> Sam, I Sam. I, I don't know. I, I don't think John's there in this one. I think yeah, John. I think, yeah, they don't. They don't ever really show the drummer. He's always blocked, which leads me to believe that it was Sammy. Um, but who's to say? We can't. You can't see him. I kept trying to see him. That's why I was wondering when you brought it up, Matt. Like if I was wrong, because I've been wrong. I'll tell you, Fred's look straight out of two thousand five, wearing that like oversized military jacket a floppy hat it's it's that it was that time is the blazer over the t oh yeah 2005 2006 man (laughs) that was my move blazer and a t blazer Blazer let's let that one rest can we agree can Can i bring it back no 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 Ah! no I was I had a blazer and a tea situation too, and and I think just for like everybody's well being, health and safety, we need to we need to retire that. <laughs> we need to seal it up like whatever mummy was in the mummy. It needs to be. <laughs> it needs uh, to be buried. I mean that didn't work, Jenny. They made three mummy movies, <laughs> well, so I think that means twenty twenty one. I this is what's this is what's gonna happen. It's the classic monkey's paw scenario. This vaccine's out. Everyone's gonna get vaccinated. They're gonna say Fauci just today was in the news saying we're gonna have live performances, live music back by the fall. I'm put, I'm putting I'm saying we do it right. So you get that ticket. You're like I'm going to a show. Let's get a sitter, Mitch. Let's go. And then you show up, and you're like, wait a minute, blazer <laughs> with a t-shirt. Blazer with the t-shirts back? Oh, no! Blazer with the t-shirt. Yeah, I have to rush back home to find my sitter about to put my baby's second <laughs> arm in a blazer. And I just snatch the baby like, you beast. Get out of my house. Get out of how, my sight. How dare you? <laughs> yes, I will not allow. Now, see, what will happen is eventually when... When my dear sweet child is older, they'll want to do this whole blazer and a tea thing, and I'll just say, "All right." Then they'll hear this 
they'll be horrified by many of the things that I've said over the years and be like, you never liked my blazer in a tee, you liar! Liar! Yeah, let's uh, not play the yeah. truth for me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I will be fully owned. <laughs> that is the true full circle, yes. All right, well, all right. So that's two rippers in a row. And... And Sam Rivers, um, I, I always say, and the other guy, because I always go through all of them and then get to Sam and have my brain leave me. That baseline on this is so sick. He is the, I mean, you got to say it. I mean, everybody, everybody focuses on Wes, but you can't have the full package if you don't have Sam, you don't have John, you don't have that that rhythm section, you got to have it all. It's a package deal. Wes would tell you the same. Very true. All right. Up next, we've got The Priest. It could be the absinthe talking. Everything, something is not feeling right. The planets are not all aligned. I know what I've felt this before. My evil is thirsty for more. I need a new outlet to feed. What can I do? I've got an idea. I think I'll just become a priest. Deceiving them with my belief. I'll preach about what life is worth and cover my sins with a church. guys this riff on this chorus i'll just go to my notes i wrote about it twice first i wrote that it was sick but then when it came in the second time i wrote that it was fucking murder because it is (laughs) this thing oh my god this this riff it's like listen i'm no producer i don't know but it seems like the direction had to be make this thing just extra nasty, extra. You know, Jenny, I know you said you don't like this idea of somebody coming up to a guitar player and go, can you do a do-do-do, a do-do-do, a do-do-do. But I got to tell you, maybe sometimes that's the push. You know, hey, you're playing hey. there, you're strumming along, and then somebody comes up to you and go, can you just make it like real nasty? Like it's real and then be like, you know what? You're right. I think I can. Because this is it. This riff. My God. I mean, I haven't talked to the rest of it. That's, that's where I'm, I'm living right now. I'm living in this riff. Jenny, thoughts? Hey, I, no argument here. Great riff. Uh, I, I think it's a, a very good song. I enjoyed it. I thought it was a ripper. Very much about 
how priests have been caught preying on children, a lot about not knowing who to trust, uh, you know, very troubling, troubling imagery, troubling uh, concepts here. Songmeanings.com will tell you. (laughs) (laughs) First of all, this is going to make religious guys mad, but also that it sounds like Deftones. What do you think about that, Lauren? So I saw this comment and I thought there was an interesting reply to it. And let me find it. Let me find the, the comment here. Comment from Slit Wrist who said, Uber nice song. Limp dominates. I'm Christian, not Catholic. Smiley face. I like everything about this song. His voice, the mood changes, blah, blah, deftones. This is Limp Biscuit. Sick of your hating kind. This song rules. And I was like, okay. But then he came back with another comment. He says, and something I don't get. Did you know that there are a limited number of notes on a keyboard and guitar? So when Deftones strikes note A and Limp Biscuit's guitar dude strikes it, everyone goes like, oh, Limp is feigning Deftones. Like, really? <laughs> That's a got him. That's a got him. I mean, I thought this thing was pretty nuts. And there's a rant we'll get to in a second. But at first, when he says that thing about the absinthe up top, at first I was like, was absinthe involved? But then you get to the rant, and I'm like, maybe absinthe was involved. Yeah. I don't think I've ever had true absinthe. Matt, have Matt, have you ever had absinthe? Um, Yeah. I, I mean, make- I doubt that. I mean, I've had modern absinthe, so I doubt the wormwood content would be high enough for me to trip balls on okay so let's go let's go to this fred rant because it is something else to hear because it it is i truly believe the most unhinged fred durst moment of any limp biscuit album and it's over at 227 227 okay here we go mom Watch your TV. going off on this mic and ross is over there like yes <laughs> yes yes my children yes oh this is oh he's he's in the spot right now 
Ross, I think I think Fred's bleeding out of his eyes. Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Give it to me. That's Give a, it that's to me. Diff- that's the voice I would expect from Ross. That is, yeah, that is the voice you think you're going to get from Ross. But you're like, it is- yes, yes, Fred. Yeah, <laughs> Fred. Okay, buddy. Yeah. Well, he sounds like my Uncle John to me. That's who I'm doing there, not Ross. No disrespect to Ross, obviously. Just when Ross sounds like your Uncle John, it takes you aback. <laughs> mm. uh, it is funny. The back on Chocolate Starfish. They had a song called Take a Look Around. But on this album, they are saying, take a look around. Wake up. For sure. Take a look around, you guys. So that's that's another ripper. What do we got next? Up next, we've got the key. Check. Shut the fuck up. You shut the fuck up. The question at hand. Oh man, fuck this. Fuck this. You know, I lost my place a long time ago. About 50 fucking rhymes ago. I'm wrecking again. I'm seriously considering checking myself in. Locked inside this key chamber. There's millions of keys inside. But only one can stop my anger. And I'm not fading away. So I just have to die. Now, is this the song in the doc that he's saying he needs to be more like Eminem? I don't know. There, there's a few, there's a few songs or bits of samples that we hear of stuff that doesn't make the album, and part of me wonders if that's a song that didn't make it because this doesn't really give me an Eminem vibe. Because at this point, if you are talking about an Eminem beat in 2005. Then I'm imagining some somber piano shit at this point because I feel like that's where he's at by 2000. <laughs> because this is post encore, so this is like post like Toy Soldiers and Mockingbird and all that. You know, I mean, this is yeah. Because basically, your Eminem run is early stuff. He's got the Dre beats. He's got the party beats. Stuff that you can play with girls around, and then. By the time you get to the Eminem show... There are no more like, girls allowed. Not many more girls around, I really don't think. And a lot more piano. And then you get the 8 Mile stuff has got the piano stuff. And then by the time you get to Encore, it's like fart noises and piano stuff, really maudlin sounding. And then when he comes back... With relapse. With in relapse. Yeah, it's... I, w- I want to say it's... We've got a little mix of both. I feel like that album's like fart noises mixed with the maudlin stuff. And then by the time you get to Marshall Mathers LP two, he's basically doing nothing but sampling like all the songs we heard on 104.3 growing up. <laughs> like he's just like every every song's gonna be a Bob Seeger sample. I don't know what to tell you. That's that's how it's gonna go. And <laughs> wow. I'm just like I gotta tell you, Marshall Mathers I, I was really I was already pretty checked out on Eminem by the time Marshall Mathers LP two came out, but I remember just hearing all these samples and going like, Why is he sampling 
like the entire Dick Purton morning show. What is going on here? <laughs> He grew up around us. He's not—he's not so dissimilar in age to us. He is not, but at the same time, what are we doing here? Trying to rewrite history, baby. (laughs) Right, clearly. You know what? You know. I mean, I guess that's the thing. You know, growing up and you're sitting there listening to those oldies with your parents, and you're just like, if I could just put some sick raps on top of this be the best song ever and he just did let me, just let me spit over night moves just let me spit <laughs> and he had the uh the ability to do it now back to the task at hand here yes, not to take yes. us too far away from your <laughs> hatred of eminem um <laughs> the key is not good <laughs> <laughs> That's my nuanced critical take on the key. I just, I don't know. I just wasn't feeling this song. What did you, what did you all think? I was waiting for a song like this, I guess, on the record. It's not my favorite because up until this point in this, in this record, this has been a pretty fucking earnest record, like a very straight ahead uh, in pain, you know, like the word bleeding to describe some of the songs like it feels like they're bleeding something or um kind of fits but this is more like uh he still wants to be an mc he's doing honestly some of the best work of his career so it's not like i want to dog on him for that you know i really don't have a lot of negative to say it's just not where the rest of the album is I think the beat's pretty cool. I like that he's going in hard. I do think that maybe for a song that's a minute 24, minute 27, it takes him like 30 seconds to actually get into the rapping. So it it gave me a little bit, just reminded me of that Chappelle show sketch where he's like the guy who's Turn my headphones up. Turn my headphones up. You know, like the check. Shut the fuck up. You shut the fuck up. Man, fuck. It's like, all right, we need to, we need to get to that rapping. If you don't mind. And then we do. Like the first time that he mentions the keys in the room, he's kind of like, and I need to unlock something. And then like the second time he brings it back is like a much more cogent thought relating to the like to the rest of the thematic structure of the song. Mm -hmm. But like the first time he brings it up, it's kind of like he needed that one to be more pointed. Like that, the mm-hmm. first time that he talks about the room with the keys, it was like, come on, man, find it faster. <laughs> and then he finds it again. Like he does find it like 30 seconds later, but it kind of to mm-hmm. Jenny's point, it's like, <sighs> it's too late. It's too late. Too late. Mm-hmm. All right. Okay. Well, let's, let's keep it going. Okay. Let's keep you it going. won't hear an argument from me up next. <laughs> this is where John rejoins us. We've got the channel.
so much shit these days and the shit is not who I wanna be. I don't like officials using rank to pretend they're not crooks. I don't like the tricks played on kids in those shitty team metal books. I don't like my heroes to kill themselves with the drugs. I don't think success can fill you up when you need love. I don't like the whores that try to fuck you for your game. I don't like my childhood that do not need somebody else to blame. I wrote in my notes, rev it up, boys. We're back in it. We're back in it. Johnny, what'd you think of the channel? Rev it up, boys. <laughs> rev it up, boys. <laughs> rev it up, boys. Uh, I, I really liked this song a lot, uh, but I have to be honest with you, the first time I heard it, I really rolled my eyes, even though uh, I think the song is great. Uh, I think this record suffers from... Fred Durst as a character and what people have decided Fred Durst is. Cause like, if you put, think of this, but this is a rage against the machine song and you put Zach Della Roca on this, it's a killer. Like, mm -hmm. and I, I feel that way about this song, but I can see how this would have been, a hard pill to swallow at the time when the overwhelming narrative, the overwhelming like social agreement is that Fred <laughs> Durst is a fucking clown and you're coming off of results may vary. You're coming off of all of this, like sort of like ridiculous clown MTV stuff. And when you hear this and you hear those, these lyrics through that lens, I see why people had a hard time getting there. Like the riff, the baseline, everything else about this song is fucking killer. I think you put a different vocalist on this, you get an extremely different response. When I was able to kind of take my like, uh, I like Fred Durst. I love Limp Bizkit, obviously. Um, it is harder to it is harder for me to to take stuff like this coming from Fred just like with I guess like the the cultural experience of Fred up to this point. Do you know what I mean when I say that? I know what you mean because it is it is a sense here of that he's you know like it's like I don't like the radio. Radio made him. I don't like the TV. TV made him. And it's, it's sort of like he's gone through the looking glass. He's seen how fake everything is. but And so he's trying to – it's that thing that he's still trying to do to this day when he talks – when he refers to his, his, his early, late 90s, early 2000s era as his red cap era. Like that was a different guy. 
and this feels like a real hard right attempt to be like, oh no, people don't like that guy. So I'm going to, I'm going to try to be who I really am. You know, I'm going to try something different, but the interesting thing, and I mean, we'll get there eventually, but it's like gold Cobra is a re-embrace of the red cap sound a hundred percent. So here it, it's, you know, I could see someone sort of doubting the sincerity. And and the thing about it is, as has been pointed out, is that at the last minute, Fred decided they weren't going to promote this record, that they weren't going to – they were going to let it have an underground thing. And Wes was just like, what are we doing? Why are we hiding these songs? Why are we hiding this? Are you – was Fred ashamed of this music? And I don't think they really – I mean, when we saw them, they didn't play anything from this album. And so I'm, I'm wondering if he he didn't believe it himself. You know, he was in that zone maybe, but then once he, you know, I mean, that's the other thing. You're in the room with Ross. Ross is on your back. He's throwing houseplants at your head. He's pushing you and pushing you. You're saying, I this, I don't like who I've become. I don't like these things. And then you hear it and you're like, do I sound, I mean, maybe he listened to it and he went, man, I don't know if I buy me here. That could be. I mean, it's interesting that. Because I, I had heard before, too, that, like, Fred didn't like the music on this record, and that's why he pushed so hard to, like, not have it be promoted or anything like that. But musically, I think, aside from $3 Bill, y'all, this is probably my favorite Limp Bizkit record. Wow. So wow. I go. I really like these songs. So that I know, like, what I'm saying about Fred, like, isn't necessarily positive, but I really do like these songs a lot. I just think that it's really, really hard to get there with Fred. It's- so that was that was going to be my question that I alluded to at the beginning, which is, which Limp Bizkit do you, you really like? Because this album is not the what we've seen so far, Limp Bizkit. I, I mean, results may vary is so singular, I guess, like... If we take a look at the core three albums of $3 Bill, Significant Other, and Chocolate Starfish, Treat, results may vary as a misnomer, I guess, like its own thing. And then you come to this, it kind of is like, do you like the goofballs who are, who've been wronged? Or do you like this hyper-serious, introspective well-weathered band and you've gone on the trip with fred durst i'm trying to think back to i mean obviously results may vary is the what we say is like the 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 secret fred durst solo record of how you know but at the same time still has sort of a goofball air to some of it some of it is silly he's got the song with snoop dogg on it and yeah, there is still that sort of playfulness. And here, it maybe it is that thought of just like, I liked it when Fred got heavy and angry on like a couple songs on an album. But, but also, it was like a very simplistic, generalized anger. Break stuff. Very simple. Everybody wants to break something. But it's like, in general, you know, you decide what you're breaking and why. But here... It's like specific targets everywhere. And and I think that's the thing uh, that, you know, that was thrown at Korn when they made Issues. Was that, did Korn take it 
two personals. Corn Torn's talking about, you know, being famous and everything. But people were willing to go on that ride because Jonathan Davis was already a person and who was putting out a level of empathy. I am you. You are me. Fred Durst, he's he wanted to have it like, hey, I was the guy I used to get picked on in school. But mostly he's like, I'm Fred Durst and I'm doing great. <laughs> he's almost yeah. a completely unsympathetic character. Almost as unsympathetic a character as we have in modern music history, I'd say. <laughs> like, I sincerely, I think there are few people less sympathetic widely. I don't, I'm not saying I think that's right or I necessarily agree with it, but to this day, you bring up Fred Durst. People You're have a, that getting remember. a visceral reaction. Yep. Yeah. No, I've seen him brought up as somebody will be talking about like really terrible people. Like somebody will be like the great villains of music, uh, R. Kelly, Gary Glitter, and Fred Durst. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. hold on, whoa, whoa, <laughs> buddy, whoa, whoa, what? Yeah, you two of those got some sex crimes. Fred Durst, I don't think is even in this. He's not. He's not in the same ballpark at all. It's just yeah that people just didn't like his. His way is is somebody who just created a vibe they could never shake off, no matter yeah. what. It's the it's the small, puffed up, shit talking, wiener boy that you're just like okay, like that's what it is. That's what's evoking that reaction. It's like people are projecting this very specific person they know on Fred Durst. Right, like he's captured a vibe. Maybe better than anyone, but people don't like the vibe. <laughs> they don't like the vibe. But they love know? the vibe. I mean, he's still, the, he's worth $20 million. Yeah. That's like his, I mean, look, I looked at his net worth before we started doing this because I was feeling <laughs> bad about these thoughts I was having. I was like, oh, he's fucking fine. He probably doesn't <laughs> like new metal anymore either, being that he's very wealthy. No, that's true. It must be difficult for him. I don't know. Yeah. Well, hopefully he got uh, points on the back end for all those stained records. Oh, he got it. For Had sure. It. I think Had that's the other thing is like for all of the public vitriol that I sincerely think he thought would wane and it just hasn't. <laughs> like he really withstands it. But like He's made a lot of very smart decisions. Like, he's a smart dude. Oh, there is... I think we've said it from the first episode of, of Limp Bizkit to the... Number one, there are not many frontmen that can fuck with Fred Durst. That dude can get a crowd to do nearly anything. They he gets an audience on his side very quick. He still can deliver now. And he's got a great ear. I mean, he he signed winners. A cavalcade of winners. It's true. But he it's had true. a persona that was so overconfident that you had everybody else wanting to see him fail that's true that's true 
It's like he won podcast of the year. <laughs> <laughs> and ever since, it's been just a thread trying to take him down. Just a... I get uh, Fred Durst is what I'm saying. I understand. When we have we not it. been a Fred Durst in our own lives? It's I mean, true. I notorious moment in my life. I really lost my shit at some people, and it is said I went full Fred that day. Yeah, and if you go into the, the comments of songmeanings.com, it's all defenses. It's all embracing this. Um, I'll just read this one from uh, Portillo Ize, who said, consumerism, television, and all that shit sucks big time. And Fred found that out when he went up the social ladder, ladder and saw it all from a bird's eye view. Mm. There you go. I have a quick cue. Yeah. yeah. How respectful of our time is this EP, I guess? This EP comes in at 29 minutes and 43 seconds. Wow. Wow. So respectful. Very respectful. Very respectful. All right. We've got a couple tracks left, and the next track is called The Story. Just living that time. Take a minute of your life That's what a minute when you feel the lightning strike To each his own on the level of that moment But it's your moment and you know you fucking own it Glorified and embraced by your victory When you're done, you escape without memory Blindfolded through this life as we learn In consequence, when the wrong pages turn It's an true Hollywood story Take a man's out with his own glory Now guess who's next? Matt, if you want to go to 135, we can get that live and let die section. Yeah, let's go. So this is the closest on the album to a more classic Limp Bizkit party riff. And even then, when you get to that E! True Hollywood Story chorus, Wes is going for it. He is just, he's just making some noise, baby. And I'm loving it. It's another ripper. It's another ripper. Jenny. I can't disagree with that. Another ripper and I'll... Always love a shout out to my dear, sweet, e-true Hollywood story. True crime before true crime. I watched many an e-true Hollywood story. Let me tell you. How do you know? Why do I know the name AJ Benza? Because I watched e-true Hollywood stories. (laughs) I think that's probably true for most folks who know who AJ Benza is. Oh, love uh, an E-True Hollywood story. <laughs> love an E-True Hollywood story. There's some really great new metal math in here. And it's it, the line is, do the math, you can laugh when I die. Hmm. 
All right. And that seems to be just, you know, listen, you want to come at me? You want to come at Freddie D? Do the math on these stats. You ain't beating me until I'm in the ground, baby. Try to beat some dirt. <laughs> Matt, what'd you think of the story? So I'm at this point with the with Fred's. I love this. I love the songs on this album. I love the first f- up until the key. So the propaganda, the truth, the priest. I'm with Fred's Fred lyrically. The key in the channel kind of lose me a little bit. The story. I I'm not crazy about that hook. The it's an e true Hollywood story, only because. It's one of those things that unfortunately, I don't know, how do I, well, it already feels dated. Like, it's one of those things where, yes, the E Who True Hollywood story was a cultural phenomenon, but I don't think it means anything to anybody beyond Jenny. (laughs) Oh, I agree with you. I had to stop myself from making a joke on Twitter recently uh, to a young, I mean, I'm not, I'm like in some weird, like, middle soup of age, but... I was almost like, oh, yeah, I want to see the E! True Hollywood story about that. And I was like, this person is 24 years old. They're not going to know the no fuck. No idea what the fuck I'm I'm so glad I didn't pull the trigger on that one. Got to tell you. But I agree with you. It, it definitely feels dated, although it, it, it tickled me to hear right. about it. But I'm, I'm just kind of at a... Uh, you're with Robinson, man. You're with Ross. You're with the fucking angel. And Ross has some rules. And maybe Ross uh, backed off of those rules for a minute because uh, I feel like they could have used a rewrite. Maybe at the time, I mean, I'd have to go back. Maybe this was the peak of the E! True Hollywood story. I don't know. But I'm, I, I mean, I'm, I guess I'm talking about the key, the channel, and the story all kind of have some things that could have been tightened up a little bit. You know what I mean? I know what you mean, but at the same time, the feeling on this record is we, we're getting it done live in studio. We got it. It's hot. Let's get it out. But then also, we're not going to tell anybody about it. We also witnessed Fred's writing process in the... Uh, Results may vary, Doc, and I have to say, <laughs> tracks to what I'm hearing on this record. Like, I I would say the weak spot, the weak the weakest part of this record for me is probably Fred's lyrics. But it's just in such stark contrast to how good most of these songs are, in my opinion. They're rippers. They're rippers. But there's also this thing of talking about, once again, Fred is talking about his impending obsolescence. You know, am I out of the way? And then talks about hardcore that ain't hard anymore. Shit talkers who ain't shit anymore. Actors that don't act anymore. Rappers that don't rap anymore. Hipsters that don't hip anymore. And limpsters that don't limp anymore. I guess the issue that I'm having is it sounds like somebody who has a lot to say, but doesn't know how to say it yet. I guess let's just wait to see what happens on Gold Cobra. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm waiting for the Inquestable Truth part two. Part two. 
Well, we do uh, have one song left. All right, all right. Before before we do, there is a couple comments on songmeetings.com, and the one I really liked was from Corn Clown, who goes after someone who says something bad about Limp Bizkit. I see you, motherfucker, suck, because from your saying, I understand you don't like LB. If you think of anything you want, why can't Fred think of a word like limpster? This song is so amazing. I think it's just about understanding some purpose of life. Just live and let die. Shows that the artist agrees with life and he's no longer that angry. Just live and let die line is so amazing. I just got to say, <laughs> I see you motherfucker suck. It's got to be. That's that's somebody who's just riding the keyboard. They're just feeling the anger just flow out of them, man. Whew. I see you motherfucker suck. That dude is livid. Mm-hmm. And I love that they're like that live and let die lyric is amazing. Don't tell them. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody nah, tell them till he cools off. Leave don't it be. <laughs> yeah, you don't. One you don't might need say a... let it be. <laughs> Some <laughs> might say let it be. Some might. But not right now. Uh, <laughs> we need to let this poor sweet boy cool down. Cool down. All right. We're on it. We're on the last track. All right. And the last track on this record is called The Surrender. basically the song it um you know this is fred sole songwriting credit on here um he also is playing the rhythm guitar in this track as jenny pointed out wes on harmonica this honestly gave me big results may vary vibes like this this took me right back to that record and this this i feel like is the most direct plea to see fred in a different way don't label me a monster i'm a monster just like you don't label me a victim because i'm a victim just like you and my heart aches the way your heart aches and i run away just like you run away he's just he's he's just saying 
forget about all that other stuff. I'm just a guy. And I appreciate the message, the medium, mm, not so much. I, I got to say, it did make me realize how often he leaned on other singers in a lot of these scenarios and other records. Like, uh, hold on, on uh, Chocolate Starfish, he got Sky Weiland to come in and let Scott kind of take on a lot of the heavy lifting there. And so... I, I just don't know anybody who thinks this is their favorite type of Limp Bizkit sound. Like, you know, it's, and it's on such a short album EP, it's a little less forgivable than if it's tacked on to the end of like a 70 minute Limp Bizkit monstrosity. You're like, oh, sure. Yeah. And a slow one. That's fine. I just got my face ripped off like 10 times, but here it's a little like, this now? Couldn't give me one more ripper? Pretty please? Let's go out so, bang. Yeah. So yeah. You you kinda wish it we you know, hadn't gone out on a on such a a, uh, a low point. Jenny, thoughts on the surrender? Uh I agree with what you said about this being no one's favorite limp biscuit sound. <laughs> um, Fred won't stop trying. With shit like this. This is what he loves. This is where he likes to be. Can't fault him for that. Um, but he doesn't need me to be there with him. And so I will never listen to this song again. <laughs> uh, that's where I am with, with this one. Matt, uh, Jenny, you you'll never believe it. But if you could make room for me right next to you. <laughs> Because I still haven't heard the whole song, but I'm pretty good. Yeah, I think you're all right. I think you're Matt's all right. all set. Uh, I will read one comment from songmeanies.com. It's uh, old friend Portillo Ize, who says, The song is about surrendering to all the bullshit and criticism that the world has thrown at him. This album has sold over one million copies worldwide, which means that there are plenty of people who love Limp and Fred. And in the end, I'm sure he will die happy. Well, all the haters are poor with no success, working jobs they hate, thinking that they know about music, even though they don't even have a band or a CD. All right. That's a, that's a pretty harsh got em. And that is The Unquestionable Truth, part one. And now it's the part of the show where we talk about... Cannon talk. Talk about the cannon. Jenny... Let's start with you. Uh, so I really liked the CP a lot. Uh, I thought it was mostly chock full of rippers. I thought it was a cool direction for Limp Bizkit to go in. I personally really loved this direction. I loved the heaviness. I loved these riffs. I think the band really showed up. Though, you know, John Otto was going through some stuff. Fred, you know... He, he can be kind of tough, but I, I do think that this is a, a really interesting evolution of a band that is synonymous with the genre. A um, couple tracks I didn't care for, but I think I'd put it in. I only hesitate to say that because there are two tracks on here that wasn't crazy about, and it is an EP, but it doesn't quite feel right to pick it apart in that way. Like I, I, I would put it in. 
That's where I landed. What do you think, Lauren? I mean, this album rips. I mean, this thing, I, it, it, it always, every time I go back, I feel like I've forgotten how much it rips. And it feels like it's, the riffs, if anything, have aged better than I think, I think it sounds better now than I think it sounded then. I think we're, I'm ready for it now in a way I wasn't then. And I, I think this is some great Ross production. I wrote, I'm a mixed bag on Fred's vocals, but I'm more pro than con after results may vary. And I, you know, I was like, all these rippers, this is some of Wes's best work. You know, he's, he's 100% on this record. I mean, the only thing I guess about it is that it does tend to feel like it is just getting started when it ends. The concept of this being 12 to 14 songs with like five more rippers of the same caliber as the, you know, the beginning, the propaganda, the truth. I mean, they would have had, I mean, I feel like they would have had a classic, but that is the one thing. But I mean, at the same time, they're like, I, the thing is that like, I'm feeling like if you're a Limp Bizkit fan for real, this feels like an essential document. It also feels like a, like a, a snapshot of like, could have, could have, should have, what could have been. I mean, would mm. West doesn't leave? West doesn't alternate reality. Right, West that's, doesn't that's leave. the question, right? I mean, is this is this what the record they would have made? But I don't know. There's so many variables in there because this is West coming back, West trying to prove himself after leaving for a while. I mean, really, what this is, we've got to find that alternate reality where 9/11 didn't happen. What's the Limp Bizkit album <laughs> sound like there? That's what you need. That's the main question <laughs> yeah, about what up. would be different. What would be different? What would be different? Main question I, is how would Limp Bizkit sound? <laughs> I go to an alternate reality. I roll in. I'm like, I bring up 9-11. Everyone says, I don't know what you're talking about. I said, World Trade Center. How's it doing? They said, it's still there. It's still fine. I go, what album did Limp Bizkit put out after Chuck Starfish? <laughs> and my journey begins. <laughs> there you go. There you go, well, Matt. I guess what do you, you can think? ask President Durst about it. <laughs> what? Yeah, could be. It's, it's a it's a constant problem because everyone's like, I mean, he did a lot for the country, but I'd really love him to just do the band again. It's the same thing when Arnold decided to get into politics. Everyone's like, come back to the films. Come back to the films. So I I agree with you, Jenny. I think I think it should go in because I think it rips, Matt. Definitely think it rips. I th- I think the top half is unbelievable, and I was so excited to hear those songs again because they're just great. I have some reservations about putting the whole thing in just because I feel like it's almost something new for them, you know, like because it isn't a standard what we would consider a standard Limp Bizkit album but at the same time like why not why wouldn't you have a lot of interesting feelings just from a standpoint of like this two years after uh results may vary an album that didn't do what they wanted it to do they kind of come back with this they got Wes back in the fold and Wes has been pretty vocal like they came back they weren't ready. He left again pretty much right after this, right? That's the right timeline. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. You know, and then 
it's nice to hear every you know i still am listening to the space zebra podcast and i think it's great and um you know every once in a while the maddie matheson episode if you haven't listened to that you need to listen to it because um you know i've never heard i'm i'm just west fanboying out over here but i've never really heard him be as he like Australia is still so fucking raw for him and he actually shares a little bit and it is like you kind of like that moment where you're like quiet and just let him talk and let him have his moment type thing because he gets Mm -hmm. he gets emotional about it and it was like wow it was fucking powerful it was really cool has nothing to do with this album or why I'm telling the story but it was just I guess he has the perspective now to give me more perspective on these albums that they weren't ready but there's something special about this record maybe it's being back with ross maybe doing something that's a lot more like you know you just look at each other and you kind of let's do something real and there is parts of this that feel real that just feel like oh my i am ticket punched and then sure it might get ruined by our father prayer or (laughs) an inability to find more words that rhyme with key (laughs) or a a real shitty guitar ballad at the end but there's something about these goofballs together that even when it misses and it's them even when it misses it hits they are a lightning in a bottle band and they can give you moments that other bands can't well there you have it limp biscuit the unquestionable truth part one in the canon gentlemen Welcome back. And that does bring us to the end of another episode of the Roach Coach Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Keep on saying hello online. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Send us an email, roachcoachpodcast at gmail.com. Head over to our Patreon, patreon.com slash roachcoachpodcast. Become a patron if you like. And as we record this, we are just two away from completing the Twisted 2 Hundo. The Hundo Never Done. Hundo Never Done. Never Done. We just need two more reviews on iTunes. And then we'll do an episode all about Twisted. Because that's what we promised. So if you haven't left us a review, head on over and help us, help us get there. Help us get there. And until next time, Jenny, thank you. Lauren, thank you. Matt. Matt. Thank Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.